Amen. The title of this sermon is The Great Divine Invitation. Church, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray and ask God for help. Father, we first and foremost want to praise you because the heavens and the earth declare your glory. And as we listen to the rain and perhaps experience this tropical storm, we know for sure that you are sovereign over every storm in our lives, that you are in control. We do ask that you be with those who were affected by this storm, that you would comfort those who are in despair, that you would provide for those who are in need and for those who have lost loved ones. We pray that you'd grant them peace, that you would bring redemption through the storms, Lord, that you would awaken those who don't know you for their need of salvation and the free gift that is offered by Jesus Christ to the gospel. We turn now our attention to your word, and we ask that you would grant us divine illumination. We need you in order to behold the wondrous beauty of your word, and I ask for your help, a weak man in needy Please help, oh God. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I was born on November 25th, 1970, in a small city called Dumaguete City in the Philippines. And when I was about four or five years old, I used to think that my birthday was very, very special. Why? Because every time my birthday would roll around, my father, Ramon, would have the, the, the fattened pig butchered, and he would throw a huge, huge party for my birthday. He would have this entire pig roasted. In fact, in the back of our house in the Philippines, we had a pig pen where we would keep pigs and fatten them for this very purpose. My birthday was so special and huge that my brother next to me, my older brother next to me, became jealous of me. Everyone in town, it seemed like, who was available came to the celebration of my birthday. It was amazing. It wasn't until I got old enough to realize that my birthdays coincided with, with our town fiesta. <laughs> Every November 25th, the entire town would have a fiesta celebration. And here's the tradition. Can you imagine this? This is fact. This is life in the Philippines. Every local homeowner, every family in our town would cook their best dishes, would mix up their best drinks, and they would put them on their tables buffet style. Everyone in our town was invited to come eat and drink. It didn't matter how poor you were or what you have done. You were invited to come eat, and drink. Well, in Isaiah 55, 
we see a similar invitation. But this invitation was the great divine invitation. And the host of this great fiesta that everyone is invited to come is the Lord. Here's the message of Isaiah 55, 1 through 7. We are to come to the Lord, to find our ultimate satisfaction and forsake our sinful ways because he is full of compassion and he will abundantly pardon us. Here's the context for sinful Israel. Israel, Isaiah 53 tells us that the servant bore their griefs and that he carried their sorrows, and that he was wounded for their transgressions, and he was crushed for their iniquities. Therefore, in Isaiah 54, last week's sermon, they were to sing, because the Lord of hosts had great compassion on them. And in chapter 55, we see that the Lord invites his people to come, to come To him, eat and drink without money and without price. But today the Lord continues to throw out this great divine invitation and we are all welcome to come and eat and drink without money and without price. And for those who come, they will experience great blessings. I have one main point for us this morning and several sub points. And here's my only point, the great invitation of mercy. And so how do we receive the great blessings of this great divine invitation? Well, the first thing that we must do is we must come. Can you look with me at verse one again? Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This word come appears in the ESV translation in our text five times. Repetition tells us that this, that something is important. Because it's repeated five times in in our text, We are to see that this invitation has some urgency to it, has some importance to it. To come to the waters just highlights that there is a need and that there is ample supply of water. And so who should come? The answer is everyone. Come, everyone who thirsts. That is in the singular form, which means that the invitation goes out to every individual. The imperative come in the original language is plural, which means that there is enough for all, but each one must respond. Each one must come. This come, this call to come is for Israel but it is also universal. This call to come is for us today also, church. He who has no money highlights the poverty of the needy one. It's for everyone who is needy and who thirsts. 
Every person who is thirsty for that which really satisfies is welcome to come and eat and drink without price and without money. Israel is an arid region. Throughout the months of June through August is often rainless. And so water was important for them. So physically speaking, thirst can be a problem. But redemptively speaking, being thirsty is an opportunity. You see, becoming thirsty is a gift from God, and it reminds us of our need of God. Our thirst is meant to drive us to long for God. And so, Trinity, do you thirst for God? Do you long for God? The problem is that some of us try to quench our thirst that is meant for God to satisfy by buying things that don't really satisfy. Church, we are horrible shoppers. What's worse is that some of us don't take advantage of the things that we desperately need when God offers them freely. Church, do you recognize when you become spiritually poor and needy. This invitation to come goes out to each and every single person who doesn't have the resources to buy what we desperately need. In fact, this invitation goes out to those who recognize that they are spiritually poor and needy. You know, the only thing that we bring to God's fiesta is our poverty. Yep. You see, when we come to this great fiesta, we come as beggars. And so how can we buy something that we desperately need without price and without money? Need to answer that question. Well, the things that the Lord offers to us freely are not for our physical sustenance, but for our spiritual sustenance. Food and water cost money, last only a short time, and meets only physical needs. But what God is, is appealing and inviting us to come, what he offers is in this great fiesta is free. It's the nourishment that feeds our souls. This feast is for free for everyone who comes. It's one of love and forgiveness. And because this nourishment is free, we can't do anything to earn it All we have to do is come, come, eat, drink milk and wine, eat rich food without price and without money. To come buy wine and milk without money and without price tells us that this is not a fiesta of leftover scraps. This is a glorious invitation to rich food and drink, even if the individual didn't have the money to afford it. You know, there's this saying that anything of great value that is for free is too good to be true. 
what the Lord offers us this morning for free is free. And it's too good not to receive it. You see, for some of us, the only thing between God and between us and God and his forgiveness and mercy is our unbelief. We are often tempted to think that we must first clean ourselves up to be worthy of coming to the Lord to receive his free gift of mercy and forgiveness. We often think that we have to be good. We often think that we have to do good before we can come to God. But when we think in this way, we misunderstand the gospel. We misunderstand God. We misunderstand his saving grace. Church, we are to come buy and eat. We are to come buy wine and milk without money and without price. How can we do this? How can we buy something that we desperately need without money and without price? This is the great paradox in Isaiah 55, one through seven. You see, it is a paradox. We're meant to see that tension in the text because that's the point. The mercy and forgiveness of God that Israel desperately needed was free because the suffering servant king paid for it. He bore their griefs. He carried their sorrows. He was pierced. He was wounded for their transgressions. He was crushed for their iniquities. And for us today, church, This prophecy of the suffering servant was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. This is why we can come freely to Jesus. Look with me at verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. For those who are caught up in laboring to justify oneself before a holy God, well, they only produce works that leads to death. But for those who reject a works-based salvation, they will find eternal life by receiving the free gift of Jesus that he offered when he died on the cross. Sometimes our longing, in our longing that is meant for God to satisfy alone, we often, to, we often try to satisfy these longings with the wrong things, right? Ray Ortland Jr., in his commentary of this verse says that our longings for God is God-shaped. When I saw that, I, saw, I thought, that's great. That makes sense to me, God-shaped. You see, geometrically speaking, whatever is God-shaped is called a God-to-gun. All right? What is that? Well, let me, let me ask you this. I used to build relationally with my students in the classroom. I used to just share math jokes. So what do you call a dead parrot? 
A polygon, yes. <laughs> what is a polygon? Well, it's a shape, geometrically speaking, with at least three sides and three angles. And so a, a, a shape that has five sides is a pentagon. Uh, a shape that has eight sides has a, oh, it's called an octagon. That's exactly right. Well, the problem is that we often try to fit worldly shaped things into our God to God longings. We expand our, we, we expand our resources in the wrong things that are never really meant to satisfy us completely in our longings. We expend our money on the, on the wrong things. We sp- expend our time in the wrong things. We expend our energy doing the wrong things. We buy cars and we buy boats and the, we buy the newest iPhone, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to satisfy this longing, this God-shaped longing that we that, that is a gift from God. Um, we spend a lot of time on social media because we're lonely and we're lo- we're longing for fellowship. We spend time on video games and watching movies to satisfy this longing that God has placed in our hearts. We work hard at building a positive self-image, building a relationship with specific people. We work hard at building a career and a successful business. We work hard earning high grades in school to satisfy our longing for validation and recognition. Now, I want to be clear on this. There's nothing wrong with all those things I just mentioned in it of themselves. Church, it is when we come to them to fulfill our longing that only God was meant to satisfy. Do you see the difference? And so let me ask you this, Trinity Community Church, why do we spend our money on things that don't fully satisfy? Why do we spend our time doing things that don't fully satisfy? That's the question that Isaiah is asking us as we read his word, God's word today. Jesus said this in John chapter six, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see church, the only antidote for our longing of things in this world is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can fully satisfy our God-shaped longings. He is the only one who can get, get, grant us the gift of contentment and gratitude for the things that we have. Trinity, do you believe that? Do you believe that? And all that stands in the way of truly experiencing God's free offer of full satisfaction is our unbelief. Listen, some of the most richest people that own a lot of expensive things are the most miserable people in the world. And some of the most poorest people who own the least amount of things are the most joyful, the most satisfied people that I've ever met. Why is that? Because all they have is Christ and Christ is more than enough. So how do we receive God's gracious free offer of love, mercy, and forgiveness and blessings? 
We come to him. Next, we listen to him. Look with me at verses two and three. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And you labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. Notice the change of language here. And come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Note in verse 3, that Isaiah drops the metaphor of come to the waters. He just simply says, incline your ears and come to me. This invitation to come is a great and gracious invitation for everyone to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And in order to partake of God's goodness and blessings, we come to Jesus and listen to him diligently to his word. And so how do we listen diligently to his word? Well, it's by listening with persistency, by hearing and paying attention with interest. You're not just going through the motions, but you're actually hearing and listening with interest. By hearing and by following that with obedience. And when we do, church, this is when we can enjoy the feasting of rich food, not the junk food that we are so accustomed to run to. When we listen to the Lord, church, this is when our hearts will be truly satisfied. This call to listen comes with a promise. Listen once again. Hear that, see, and hear the purpose statement, that your soul may live. This is the promise of eternal life. When we listen diligently by carefully pouring over his word, we will see that life is found in Christ and that life is eternal. John said this, or Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Thank you, Lord. And as we listen to God and come to him, we will find that eternal life is bound up in his covenant, in his steadfast and sure love for David. So what was this covenant that um, Isaiah was talking about in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7? Well, for Israel... God made the Mosaic Covenant with them, pledging that they will be his treasured possessions, that they would be a holy priesthood, a royal nation, and that he will be their God. But Israel broke broke this covenant by becoming an idolatrous people. Even so, God remained faithful He made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God pledged to David that his dynasty would rule forever and that this covenant would bring an everlasting blessing to God's people. 
the Davidic covenant cannot be broken because it was based on God's love for David. Church, this lasting blessing is our salvation. And ultimately, this lasting covenant was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul quoted Isaiah 55 verse 3 in Acts chapter 13 verse 34. He says this, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, the Nasby translation puts it, to no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, and here's the quote from Isaiah 53 verse, 55 verse 3, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. You see, God raising Jesus from the dead, the, the dead, never to return to decay, is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant because Jesus is from the lineage of David. Jesus is ultimately the one to bring the lasting blessings to all the nations. And because this covenant is, was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, this covenant is enduring. It is eternal. It is through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus that we have this eternal life. Isaiah tells us that there is more. This covenant is extended to the world. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Bible commentators differ on the interpretation of verses 4 and 5. Some would say that the hymn in verse 4 refers to the historical David. As David gained dominance over all the surrounding nations, he became the, the nation's leader and commander of Israel. And he was bearing witness. He was. He was bearing witness of God's power to bring blessing and salvation to all the nations. The nation also played a, or had a function as a witness of God's glory and power. We see this in Isaiah 54, verse 44, verse 6. But ultimately, church, Jesus is the ultimate witness of God's power and glory to bring salvation to all the nations when he died on that cross. It is through Jesus' death and resurrection that this feast of mercy, this fiesta of rich food and drink, this love and forgiveness offered to us freely is made possible. Trinity, today, the church is God's witnesses for his power and for his glory for the Eternal blessings that bring salvation to all the nations. Let me ask you this, church. How are you doing witnessing? How are you doing being a representative of Christ and his death on the cross that brings salvation to those who are lost? 
though we are going through a pandemic season and now a hurricane season, and we've, we've suffered some shutdowns, the church ought to continue to be on mission, to be faithful witnesses of God's glory and power to bring salvation to those who are living in the darkness of sin, who are in desperate need of eternal life. Church, how are you doing with your witness of Jesus during this time? And so what else do we need to do when we come to the Lord? Isaiah says in verse six, seek and call. Look with me at verse six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What does that mean? Well, to seek the Lord doesn't mean that the Lord is lost. It means to us to seek with a commitment that the Lord is there to be found. You see, the Lord wants to be found. He has come near to us only in the, uh, in, especially not only in the promises of the suffering servant, but in the fulfillment of his incarnation when he was born as baby Jesus. He came near to us. He came near to us in the form of a baby, only to grow up, to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sin. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to us as our kinsman redeemer. He came to those who were enslaved to sin. He came to those to bring forgiveness to the sinner. He came to comfort those who were in despair. He came to give sight to the blind. He came to heal the sick. He came to care for the marginalized and he came to pursue the outcast. He came to bring home the prodigals. He came near to us, church. And how can we experience God's wonderful grace, gifts of grace? One simply has to seek him. One simply just needs to come to him. James 4.8 says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And the reason why we need to seek the Lord is that we are prone to wander from the Lord, aren't we, church? We are prone to wonder and go about our own way. And we are naturally inclined to put up barriers of sin between ourselves and him. And to experience his blessings, we need to continually seek him. And so what does it look like to seek him? To seek him, we must remove all the things that hinders us. We must remove all the things that weighs us down. To seek him is to make him the highest value over all things in this world. When we seek him, we fix our eyes on Christ and not on our present circumstance. Church, to seek him, we must reprioritize the things in our lives and make God our first priority. For the unbeliever who is listening, the language of verse 6 gives a tone of urgency. 
seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God's gracious divine invitation to come to him, it's, it's not forever, unbeliever. God's gracious divine invitation is limited in time and opportunity. That means that there is a predestined time when Jesus will come in judgment. Your sins have placed a barrier between you and God because he's holy. You have been separated from God because of your sin. The good news is that if God has you here or there, wherever you are listening, and that you are hearing this great divine invitation to mercy, then he is calling you to him right now. Come, eat and drink. Eat rich food. Drink wine, milk, without price, without money. All you have to do, unbelievers, to cast aside and repent of your sins Put your faith and trust in him and you can join him in this great fiesta of rich food, rich wine, and rich milk without cost. When we come to God, we come as we are. Look with me at verse seven. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So when we come to God, we come as we are. We come as poor and needy, as beggars. But here's the point of verse seven. We don't stay as we are. To truly seek the Lord, we must reject ourselves and fully accept him. To truly seek the Lord, it must be accompanied by repentance. And what does repentance look like for us? Well, repentance has two sides. Isaiah clearly tells us that it has two sides. We must, one, forsake our wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts, and then, two, return to him. Forsake and return. That's the two sides of repentance. The problem is that all of us, we want God's good gifts of mercy and grace, but also want to hold on to our sinful ways and our sinful thoughts. We are wicked because we have the propensity to tolerate our sins. That's a pretty strong sentence pretty strong word to say in a church. We are wicked. But if you're really truly and honest about your ways and your thoughts, and if you truly understand God's holiness, church, we have wickedness in us. Now, functionally, we are still being worked on. We are still being sanctified. Positionally, we are righteous in Christ. I want us to make sure we understand that. 
If you've come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, you have been declared justified. You are righteous because of Christ's righteousness that he imputed into us. But functionally speaking, our sins and our sinful nature is still being worked out. Therefore, we still have wicked thoughts and evil intentions And we still do wicked things. Church, we must forsake our wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts to return to him. You see, we can easily make excuses for our sins, can't we? We even happily provide provisions for our sins. The issue that we need to work through this morning is that how can we resolve in our hearts um, of how a sinful man can be in the presence of God's holiness? You see, our wicked ways and our sinful thoughts greatly offend God. But here's the good news, church. The good news of the gospel is that we, we, whether we come to him or return to him, To the Lord, he will not meet us with great disappointment or with fierce anger. You see, the offended one is the one extending his great invitation of mercy and and forgiveness and pardon. He's saying, come, the one whom we offended with our wicked ways and our sinful thoughts is saying, come, come to me. When we come to the Lord, he will meet us. And just like repentance has two sides, his response has two sides. He will meet us with compassion and abundant pardon or forgiveness. Isn't that great news, church? When we fully receive his compassion and abundant forgiveness or pardon, the barrier of sin that we have erected before God in between us and God will be removed and we can join in this fiesta of rich food and water and wine and milk. In conclusion, we're going to respond by taking communion. The elements of communion reminds us that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. Communion is a feast that we look back that reminds us of the feast, that reminds us to look back to the cross. It also helps us to look forward to that great feast in heaven where God will be our host. If you're not a believer of Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, then please don't partake in communion. It's only for those who have put their faith and trust in God. But if you are here, if you are listening, I know you can't partake in communion. If you have not put your faith and trust in the Lord, then know this. If you're listening to this great invitation, he is calling you to come. And partake of food and milk and wine and drink and water. 
and you will never thirst and you will never hunger and you will have eternal life. Only then you can enjoy this blessedness of fellowship, of abundant forgiveness and mercy and love. As the worship team plays, we are going to take communion on our own. Would you please stand with me, church? Before we take the bread and the cup, let's together, let's together as a church repent of our wicked ways and unrighteousness. Let's repent of our unrighteous thoughts and then come to Jesus. Let's receive his compassion, his abundant forgiveness, and let's worship him.